is this? Ah, the French. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa! Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. I'm going to raise. Oh, Armando, what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Winterson. Good night. Gentlemen, this is the Buckrose Manifest. And I am Bad Sean Black. And together we are a couple of conversationalists, a couple real bon vivants. Mm-hmm. We get together and talk about things here in the Ferris wheel of the Smogville Fair. That is where we broadcast from. We uh, signed a contract to be the exclusive podcast of the Smogville Fair. It was a bad contract. A bad contract. We get paid in dough. Mm-hmm. All we can stuff in our mouth. All we can stuff in our mouths. I thought we would at least get churros, but if we want churros, we got to make them ourselves. I thought I had a bigger mouth too. Boy, people, I'll people, say, people are always telling me I got, maybe a, I got you, a big mouth. Maybe if you took your foot out of it once in a while, <laughs> you could get more dough in there. Am I right? <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, well, so what's new around Smogville? I think we got some big news since last week. We, you may have heard us mentioned before. Uh, that the mayoral race is coming up. Mm-hmm. Zephyr the pig is still leading in the polls. He is. He's, he's, he's caught the imagination of Smogville. But then there is... Well, the incumbent mayor... Yes. We've, we almost saw him once, but all we saw was sort of his feathery hand drawing the blinds mm-hmm. who walked by the mayoral mansion. That's true. And we've been really wondering about him. We've certainly heard his decrees. Every, almost every day there's a new decree right. nailed to every door in town. And it, um, what, was, it, what was the latest one? It, it was no more it, using yellow paint on dog houses. Yeah, no I more thought, u- that was weird. There was the big one about harvesting the river mud, mm-hmm. about how you had to get a permit for that now. Yeah, and then there was a really strange one about if you're looking at clouds, you're not supposed to say out loud what they look like. I thought that was a really weird. You know, one you know, too. you see one, and you see that looks like a pig. You, it's it's now against the law in Smogville to tell your your friend what the that looks like or your dog. Yeah, for now you can still write it down, which is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it is just odd. Every day it's something like that. But it's but even odder is. I guess it never really occurred to me that we've never seen the mayor, even though he's busy. He's 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 he runs the town kind of with an iron fist. Well, kind of a, fe- the, a the feather. The closest we saw was sort of his feathery fist. Feathery, and I thought he just had maybe a feather hand, you know, yeah. one of those feather hands, or maybe a feather duster in his hand, right? Yeah. But no, it turns out there's a hell of a lot more feathers. No, he's a duck. He's a duck. We got a good look at him, and they call him Screwy Max Duck. But I just thought Duck was German or something, a surname, you know? Well, it sounded like it. And then Screwy was, was, I thought, just what the newspaper man were writing. Yeah. To sort of, you know, put the screws to I him, th- so uh, to speak, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yeah, so Mayor Maximilian Duck is a, he is a duck. He's three, three feet tall. He doesn't wear pants, but he wears, he's, he looks really sharp from the waist up. Very well, very foppish. Mm-hmm. And he's got a nice uh, pocket watch and a, a top hat and all that stuff. But, but yeah, I, I kind of didn't, I, I'm, I'm, 
it's a talking duck. It's it makes more sense to me now that a pig is the number one challenger because at first I was kind of baffled. How can a pig run a town? But if a duck can run a town, well, the pig. When I okay, I saw the pig. It was just a pig. It wasn't wearing clothes. It was just in the mud eating an apple core. This the, this duck can talk. He's got an attitude. He's got kind of a little bit of an accent. I, I, I haven't placed it. He's even got those kind of shoe covers on his, on his webbed feet. He's got spats, no, he's got spats on, his, on top of his, his bare duck feet. Well, and I, I mean, that makes sense because there's so much mud all over town. Mm-hmm. But he's, his duck feet are still bare, but maybe he likes that. I, he likes the to top. Like kind of flopping around. I mean, he likes the top of them clean, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just really peculiar. I guess his accent, we haven't quite discerned the Smogville accent yet. Right. Maybe that's what it is. It could be. It's that weird kind of... Yeah, it could be local. It's kind of like that when he talks. It's really quite disturbing. Yeah, the the hill people in the surrounding hills kind of talk like that a little bit, but but a little thicker, you know? Yeah, yeah, the hill people. And they have a language all their own, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, linguists have been trying to decipher it for ages. So, yeah, there you go. We've got a duck for a mayor. Good old Smogville. It always keeps you guessing. I mean, and unrelated to that, though, world champion podcast, who knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Might solve a mystery yeah. or rewrite history on this show. So I believe you come to us today with a history mystery in your hands. I do. And this, this came to us via Mark, one of my friends from way back when. He's kind of been chatting with me lately. He actually helped me name the, the new metal album review section called Blow Your Speakers. That's will be coming up later. Mm-hmm. So you've just been collaborating with this fella on podcast-related things. <laughs> so that sounds cool. Well, when you what, put it, what else are they doing? Well, when you put it that way, yeah, I guess the meeting's lasting two, three hours is, is kind of odd. I should have maybe invited why is there you. Why is there a new set of headphones here in the studio? Well, in the Ferris wheel, I mean. You saw me talk, talking into that can. I wasn't just talking to the empty can of beans like I've been telling you for a week. Yeah. There is a piece of yarn. You told me you were talking to the beans. And I, I was. I just let it go. I know. Because in a world where a duck is the mayor, a yeah. man can talk to beans. Right. But uh, to, I gotta, let's, let's just put them all on the table. Let's come clean. That can was connected to a long piece of yarn, and I was talking about some show ideas with an old friend. Talking, yeah. Interesting. And... Interesting. Because also my chair's gone. Where did my chair go? He needed a chair. He said he couldn't talk into the can leaning against that fence. So I I sent the the chair away with the the strong man. He took it across town because he had the strength to carry it. To carry my chair? Carry your chair. Well, as they say, it takes a strong man to carry Brighton's Mm -hmm. chair. (laughs) It it does. Uh, In order to lead, you've got to carry that lead. That's what they say about your chair. All the the email... And social media passwords have been changed. Some of that. That was for security. That was an unrelated beans, can of beans security thing. So you told your beans, but not me. Mm-hmm. Yep. The beans, had, they were in a need, a, a bean need to know basis. Because I did think it was weird when the, the can of beans would sort of start jingling. <laughs> and then you'd grab it and go, hey, garbanzo bean. <laughs> yeah. Hey, beans! Hey, garbanzo bean! Yeah, it, see, it, I, I guess it is odd for someone to be surprised by a call from beans when they have a can of beans in their hand. I knew there were beans in there, so why was I sitting like, oh, long time, no beans! <laughs> yeah, so, so that's it. So our, my buddy kind of tipped me off. He said, you got to check out this story. Okay, so lay it on me. What, what is this? Okay, so the Dyatlov Pass incident. This is something 
This is an event that took place in, in Russia in 1959 in the Ural Mountains. The Dyatlov Pass in the title is, is named after the group, this group of, the leader of a group of hikers. So basically, Igor Dyatlov and... Igor. Igor. Okay. Yeah, there's... there's <laughs> I know. I, I, is, in 1959, would, would Igor be a weirder name? Like, is, it sounds weird to us, but in 1959, do you think even here in America, you would run into your neighbor and be like, hey, Igor? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just... It's hey, sad Vlad. That, it's sad that the name got ruined, like Igor, uh, you know, since Frankenstein. But mm-hmm. it's probably just a regular name. It's probably John in Russian. Yeah, it's very common, I imagine. What about Boris? There's a basketball player in Boris. I know. It's, 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 I think of a bear when, every I, time when I, I hear th- Boris. Every time I think of the name Boris on a human, I just, I just crack up. Can you imagine a little kid named Boris? Yeah. Or like your child's Boris born. The child. like, like, oh, this is Boris. This is my son Boris, Igor, Beavis. Yeah, Beavis is very popular Archibald. So this incident involved a group of nine experienced ski hikers from the Ural Polytechnical Institute. They set up camp overnight. Okay, so they're college kids? They're college or, or recent graduates. Okay. And the whole plan was to do a ski trek across the mountains, right? The original group, led by Igor, consisted of eight men and two women. And they, you know, these were young and, and very experienced hikers and skiers. They, they're, they're going to a mountain 10 or 6.2 miles, 10 kilometers. But uh, as Americans, a kilometer might as well be, is that 10 feet? Is that 1,000 feet? I don't know. Isn't that some Russian name? Kilometers. Boris Kilometer. Yeah, I think it might be a Russian word, actually. Yeah. So this is about, about 6.2 miles north of where this incident took place was where they were trying to go to. This route in the month they were going, which was February, was estimated as a Category 3, which that sounds like a hurricane, so right off the bat, Category 3 scary sounding. Yeah. Apparently, this is the most difficult mountainous terrain you can do. So these were very experienced uh, hikers and skiers. These weren't just a bunch of clowns. that, Like if you and I decided to climb Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. Let's we're like, us, let's do this. Let's I brought a- my rollerblades in case I want to <laughs> cruise down it. Category negative three for us. Yeah, I mean, we need a category flat. <laughs> category flat. Maybe for me, a category one would be like more than two flights of stairs. Yeah. Um, like, like when we did talk about different buildings, when, when I said, you should go check out this book, it's, it's in Barnes and Noble, but it's, it's a category two level of the, of the place. You have to go up the escalator. Yeah. It's category one is escalator. Cause the science fiction books are, are, are category one. That's flat. up. At, They're category flat. So category 0.5. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That means up an escalator. Yeah. So, which isn't, isn't that tiring, but. You still kind of you still got to be upright. I feel I get kind of dizzy sometimes at the top of an escalator. Why well, you like escalators? Because they help my core strength. Because I have to stand. It's a lot of it is. It's I have to exhausting. Stand and not fall down them. <laughs> yeah. Hold still and not fall down a moving yeah. thing. I know it's a, you sleep like a log that night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this group they were supposed to check in with with uh some, you know who knows they're 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 colleagues. Yeah, sure. They, they just stopped. They didn't check in, right? But it was one of those things that in 1959, this isn't, the, you can't text, you can't really, you know, everything was traveling by mail, and this is Russian mail. Well, and they're in the wilderness. They're in the and, wilderness. And Russian mail. And Russian, it, it probably was. Soviet mail. Let's go for Soviet mail. 
Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure the mail system in Russia now is just great. Do you want me to tell you something? I went to Moscow, and I I, I made a friend there, and we decided to be to keep in touch. And I sent her a letter, and she, when she wrote back, she told me it took three months to get to her. Wow. So this that's is, this is post communism. Yes, by this, a long this, shot, this by is many years. This is po- maybe in, during communism. It worked like like clockwork. Oh, that could be too. No, do you know what? During communism, the mail was opened, read, and then she got a blacked out letter with blacked out. No, do you know she was actually put to death for being a spy for its ki- for getting yeah. a letter from an American. Yeah. So God rest her soul. Even though there's no God in communist Russia. Mm-mm. Well, Lee Stalin. Boris rest her soul. <laughs> yes. So, so you think about that, you know, if someone's late from an expedition, you're like, oh, they're in a category three, let's wait a week. Now, if there's anything I know from a very basic grasp of history, it's that Russia in the winter is not somewhere you want to be walking around. No. Our entire armies have failed. Yes, that's true. And led by the most famous leader you can kind of imagine, you know, even, even a Napoleon yeah. stymied by Russia. Yeah, you're telling me Igor is better than Napoleon? Napoleon yeah. conquered all of Europe. So th- this, these disappeared people, they, they, they've put together kind of what they think happened. So oh, the, the, the detectives? The, 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 I, guess, I guess KGB. I guess it would probably be, be what's a, the, the father of, uh, what's, who's the current guy that wrestles bears and stuff? Putin? Putin. Yeah. He's probably Putin Sr. or something. Yeah, yeah. Back when he was like a beat cop. It's like before Commissioner Gordon became commissioner. Uh-huh. This is, this is Putin when he still had dark hair before it went gray on the sides. So just think of that. I'm, I'm actually picturing Putin as Stalin, I just realized. Like Putin, Putin Sr. <laughs> yeah. Looking almost so Putin like... Putin Sr. Stalin. Think of a young Stalin with really dark hair and just a, a smaller mustache. He's just starting out. Yeah. And his first case, you know. Is these missing hikers. It's these missing hikers that nobody else wants to take because it's just a big waste of time. But, but Putin Sr. is ambitious enough that he wants to take on this case, and he delves headfirst yeah. into it. He's saying those, those nine people out there are somewhere. They matter. He, like, pounds on his desk. Yeah. When everyone else laughs at him. So these are your wives. These are your children. These are your mothers. Because it was, I guess, the family probably. We're all KGB but, agents. Yeah. Anyway, so what, they, what, what Putin Sr. put together is the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began preparing for the main climbing. Okay. In a wooded valley, they cached a surplus of food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. The following day, the hikers started to move through the pass. Their, their plan was to, to, it seems, was to get over the pass, make camp for the next night on the opposite side because of worsening weather conditions. Now, this is like, you hear any story, any famous story about a mountain always has worsening weather conditions. Oh, boy. There's always some kind of storm coming. And for some reason, these people think, nah, let's keep going up this mountain. Just <laughs> once. I, mean, I, guess, I guess I don't really read the stories of successful hikes and climbs. Yeah, it doesn't make it. But I doesn't just, sell oh, as many books. I just, yeah, when I'm watching shows on investigation discovery or something, which I just did. I just love when there's always that key phrase, which is, they got started too late into the season. <laughs> like, who are these idiots that don't, like, 
Oh You're boy, like, we had a window of about a week, and that was three weeks ago. But let's just try it anyway. We'll just, just like, we'll just walk real quick. Like yeah, you just I just forgot. I totally spaced it. We were gonna yeah. climb this mountain, and then you know how it is, barbecues and and all that stuff. Yeah. And so and I'm like, oh, that was last month. We can still get it done. Oh, wait, let's see. So by the time I get to the middle of the Superstition Mountains of Arizona, it'll be mid July. I should okay. have left in February. Hmm. Ah, uh, let's do it. I want to find that. Yeah. Gold. I'll, my water bottle. Can't find it. I'm sure there's water on the way. There'll be water on the way. I'll take a purification tablet. It's fine. Right. Okay. So they the hikers started. Uh, they lost their directions as they were going through the pass and deviated west up towards a different mountain peak. When they realized their mistake, the group decided to stop and set up camp there on the slope of the mountain, rather than moving the 0.9 miles downhill to the Forset area where all their, their, their food and supplies were. 0.9 miles? 0.9. Less, these are experienced hikers. Less these aren't than a lot. No, they decided that it would be better just to, like, let's stick it out on the side of this, this, this slope. The snowy slope. The snowy slope. Okay. And then just, I guess, wait till tomorrow. So the, the, the theory is that Dyatlov didn't want to lose the altitude they had gained. And so it was, and decided... To, do, to, to camp there. Because you know when you go up Mount Everest, you have to go up in these stages and mm-hmm. there's oxygen problems and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you got to stop and get acclimated and all that. Yeah. So I think that, that's the theory on why they didn't go back. This short distance downhill to all their supplies. Oh, no. Okay, so before oh, they left, Dietlov agreed to send a telegram to the sports club. <laughs> this is just what you do. Wait, send me, they, do they have a portable telegram machine? I, I, I assume there's some sort of... There, there's probably something at the base of the mountain. There's got to be. Yeah, because telegrams have wires. This was supposed to happen no later than February 12th. Uh, but, but right before he left, he said it may be longer. So it's always good to kind of tell the person expecting your emergency call that, you know, it might be longer. If it's late, just if don't, it's late, don't, don't worry. Don't worry yeah. about it. Because oh. you know how these mountain climbings go. Yeah. So when the 12th passed and no message was, was received... Nobody was really that concerned because a, day, you know, a few days here and there, that's kind of common on those expeditions. So then once it got to, it was not until the 20th, so eight days later that people started worrying. Like, where, where, why have these people not appeared? And that's when they decided to send the first rescue teams, which consisted of the, the polytechnical schools, students, and, and teachers and volunteers. Okay. And then later, when, when they couldn't find them, the army and militia, you know, and planes and helicopters started becoming involved. Okay, on February 26th, the searchers found the group's abandoned camp on the, on the peak of the mountain. So this is February 26th. That's what? That's February 2nd is what you said earlier, right? I th- yeah. No, let's see. It was February. I think it was two. It's two weeks later. Maybe they, they set out on February 2nd. No, no, you're maybe. right. You're right. February 2nd. So, good Lord, 26. So that's 24 days later. They find the empty they f- camp. They find the empty camp. Okay. The, the tents are very badly damaged. And the, the whole, the way the camp was, was baffling to these, the search party. Um, according to, to one of the students that was on the, exp- or on the search party, they, Mikhail quote said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow it was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind so the, the, these tents are filled with shoes which seemed to be would be important in, in a blizzard yeah you probably want your shoes 
The investigators then said the tents had been cut open from the inside. They, they, they just, I don't know how you figure that out, but, but this was not a, a case of something tearing in, but the tents were torn out from the inside. Eight or nine sets of footprints were left by people only wearing socks or a single shoe or even barefoot. And these, and these went off in the same direction, leading down towards the edge of the nearby woods on the opposite side of the pass. But after about uh, 1,600 feet, the tracks were covered with snow. Okay, at the forest edge under a large cedar tree, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire uh, along with the first two bodies. So, oh. the, so there's two corpses next to a small remnants of a fire, a tiny little fire. Uh, the, both, both people were shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. Okay, the branches on the trees were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that this, one of the skiers had climbed up to look for something, or, or I don't know, someone had climbed the tree and broke a bunch of the, the limbs off. Oh, um, okay. Between the cedar and the camp, the searchers found three more bodies. So these, so there was, so then, you know, this was between in this, uh, what are, 1,600 feet, right? You know, was it? No, point nine, about tw- almost a mile was the distance between the camp and the trees where they found the little fire pit. Oh, okay. So in between there, they found three bodies. They were, they were like, co- you know, covered in snow. They died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. So I guess just crawling toward, oh, towards oh. the camp. Oh, shit balls. Okay. They searched for the remaining four travelers for months. It took two months because there was so much snow. And then finally, on May 4th, they found, uh, they found a ravine a little bit further in the woods under four meters of snow um, that, that were, were the rest of the, the people. So they, uh, let's see, oh, there are four more. Is that all of them then? Three, four, yeah, five? Nine okay, so there's the, the, the last four bodies were found. These four were better dressed than the others, and there were signs that those had, who had died first had apparently uh, relinquished their clothes to the others. So they don't know if these people died and then the, the rest of the people alive took their clothes to wrap themselves in, or if, they were, or if they gave their clothes to these last four people. Maybe they're in better shape and they knew they were dying, so they said, here, mm. take my... They don't know. Uh, let's see. So a medical... That, now that, that's, that doesn't sound that weird, right? Aside from ripping out of the tents, it's, it's just, you know, some kind of mountain tragedy. Right. It, there's, they're camped on the slope of a mountain, and an avalanche comes through and just... They run like, out. Like a rushing river, like, wood carries them away, or they run out. They run out to get away from the avalanche. Yeah, it's, the, it's when they're asleep, so they're not dressed appropriately. Those two, sadly, survive long enough to make a fire. Yeah, th- this sounds like a... This, that kind of sounds straightforward that way. Well, and when, you're, when you are suffering hypothermia, you can start ripping your clothes off. And we'll, we'll you get, get so confused and stuff. And we'll so. get into both these things, because these are both very strong theories. Okay. But there are some other facts about it that, are, that are make it much more bizarre. So when they did the, the medical examination, they, on the, on the first, let's see, they found no injuries that, that would have led to their deaths. So it, conclu- it initially was concluded that they'd all died of hypothermia. They, One so, of, they, so they didn't get shot. 
Well, one, one person had a small crack in their skull, but they didn't think that would be enough for a fatal wound, huh. which is, that's weird. Rocks. Right. Hit, hitting the head with a rock. Okay. So, so when they examined uh, all of the bodies is when they started finding weird stuff. Three of the ski hikers had fatal injuries. One, so one had major skull damage, and two others had major chest fractures. But according to, to Dr. Boris... <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Nice. And I'm not even going to try to say his last name. But yeah, there's, there's a Boris for you right there. Dr. Boris said that the force required for such damage would have to be extremely high, comparing it to the force of a car crash. So this isn't just... They, they punched each other to death. Okay. This is like they were hit by a bus. Like to, like an avalanche. Like an avalanche, maybe. So far, so good, Dr. Boris. But notably, the, the bodies had no external wounds relating to the bone fractures, as if they'd been subjected to high levels of pressure. Uh, so, that, so none of the tissue was really damaged. So it wasn't like, if you punched someone and broke their ribs, you would have major bruising on the, on the, the flesh you punched. Mm. These people had fractured ribs and stuff, but their skin and flesh was undamaged. That's what that suggests, they, like pr- almost like uh, pressure from, like a one of those hyperbolic chambers or something, you know. Or... Mm, okay. 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 Now th- this is where it gets weirder. Some of the some of the people did have external injuries. One person, a woman, was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, uh, facial tissue, and a fragment of skull bone. And had extensive skin maceration on her hands. I don't know what maceration is. It sounds bad. It sounds bad. Yeah, it does. So coyote got to her, or chimp. Yeah, they kind of think that that mountain chimp. She. They they said she was found face down in a in a small uh, stream. So it could have been fish. Could have been. Yeah. Who knows? But the but it just still kind of gruesome and weird. Uh. The initial speculation was that there's an indigenous people up there called the Mansi, that they may have attacked them and murdered them for encroaching on their lands. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. That, that, was, uh, that was an initial theory, but, but the nature of their deaths didn't really support this because there was no other footprints besides the people who ran away from the, the tents, right? I'd like to know more about these Mansi people, though. Are they wildlings? They might be like our local Smogville Hill people. Uh, I bet they are. They're probably very similar. Okay, so the temperatures were really low. They think that they were around negative 25 to negative 30 degrees Celsius, and that's negative 13 to negative 22 Fahrenheit. Very cold. Way below freezing. With a storm blowing, but everyone was found partially dressed. So some of them had one shoe, others had no shoes, and, and some had socks. You know, some were barefoot. Uh. So this is, this is what, when they started, journalists really caught on to the story, and they, they started doing a, a, an inquest to get the files from the state to find out really what had happened as years passed, because they could not figure out what was going on. So this, this kind of sums it all up. I'm going to go over it real quick. So six of the group members died of hypothermia, three of fatal injuries. There was no indication of, of anybody nearby, the local indigenous people, nothing like that. The tent had been ripped open from the inside, the victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal, so it was the night they camped in mm. the middle at like three a.m., which is horrifying. Uh, yeah. They had left on their own accord. They 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 thought that the injuries on the 
on the people that were very in damaged couldn't have been caused by another human being because the force of the blows would be too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Forensic radiation tests showed high doses of radioactive contamination on the clothes of a few of the victims. Oh, excuse me. Now we're getting somewhere right. again. Right. High levels of radiation on their clothes. On some of their clothes. Well, some of them were nude. Yeah, but I mean, I, but I think but they all had underwear and stuff. So. Yeah. Okay, so there, so this we're gonna get into some controversy regarding this. This is this is Soviet Russia, so a lot of people were afraid to talk about it. And I guess as the years went by, people would come forward. A twelve-year-old at the time, uh, Yuri, I'm just gonna say the first name, attended the five hikers' funerals and recalls that their skin had a deep brown tan to it. And these are Russians, you know, these are the palest, palest, pastiest people in the world. But they all had deep brown tans. This that could just be mount, you know, sun reflecting off of snow, and how hikers get, you know, tans. You get leathery. Could could be. Okay, another group of hikers about fifty kilometers south reported they saw strange orange spheres in the night sky Uh-oh. to the north the night of the incident. Uh oh. Similar spheres were observed uh, in all kinds of areas around that same period of time by various independent witnesses, including meteorology services and the military. So this was, everyone had seen some weird orange globes floating in the sky. More than one. More than one. I know know of one that's supposed to be there. Over more than one. uh, I mean, over more than one period, like nights, like different nights and stuff too. Okay, so, so... some people, there, there, there was a theory that it was a Soviet secret weapon experiment. Because uh, so, many people who, that had been quiet for the 30 years suddenly started reporting new, new facts about the accident. I guess this would be post-Soviet, right? right about when it, yeah, because the Soviet Union fell in 90, 91, maybe? 92? 91, so, and, 90. And, yeah, so one of these people was a former police officer. His name's Lev. I guess that would have been Putin Sr. Yeah. He led the official inquest in 1959. In 1990, he published an article which included an admission that the investigation team had no rational explanation for the accident. He also said that they, the team had reported seeing flying spheres. So the people investigating had seen some spheres when they were up there looking at the campsite and stuff. But they had been, they'd received direct orders from high-ranking regional officials to... to Keep quiet. So you had some some starting to get freaked out. It's kind of yeah, it's freaky. I'm kind of wishing it wasn't going to be dark outside when I leave the Ferris wheel. Okay, so here here are the theories, and you you've kind of touched on this first one. Is the first one was an avalanche caused the deaths. So the theory is that the group woke up in a panic, cut their way out of their tents because the avalanche had covered the entrance of the tent, or maybe they were scared they were going to be covered. So they just cut, cut it open. They were poorly clothed because they had been sleeping. These, they, all these things sound relatively logical to an avalanche theory. Uh, they ran to the woods hoping it would stop the on, oncoming snow. In, in, the, in the darkness, they got separated. One group made a fire. With, you know, other, others had gone back to tents to try to get some clothes, maybe after the avalanche passed. So that, but they were too cold and froze to death. Um, and then the four bodies that were severely damaged, maybe they were caught in the avalanche and, you know, not, you know had hit trees and all kinds of stuff. So that's, that all sounds really logical. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche. That was the first problem. So not a big pile of not snow. Not a big pile of snow and broken tree limbs and stuff. Uh, I guess avalanches leave certain patterns and debris distributed over a certain area, and they kind of have a look to them. Uh, and the bodies were found within 10 days of the event. or The bodies found within 10 days of the event were covered in a shallow layer of snow. So if it was an avalanche with sufficient strength to really sweep them away, the bodies would have have been swept away as well. They wouldn't have been in this logical line down towards the trees. I see. Sure. And and then also the analysis of the train and the slope and the incline, there's only a very specific set of conditions that that you could even have an avalanche in that pass. Um, and the trajectory, even if there would be an avalanche, would have not gotten near the the tent at all. So they're saying it's almost impossible just the way the shape of the mountain was for there to be an avalanche. Okay, another theory was uh, infrasound. So this is, this is a, a theory that the wind going down the mountain would create a karma, a Karman vortex which would produce infrasound capable of inducing panic in humans. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here because I am on the infrasound Wikipedia page. Okay. Which which we we very much need at this point. Uh This is confusing because I don't know why <clears throat> there's a big picture of quote infrasound arrays in Greenland, these crazy looking things. I can't figure out why we would want to make infrasound, but it's low frequency. It is below the normal limit of human hearing. Okay. We can't hear infrasound, Mm -hmm. but it's there. But it would drive you mad? Apparently it drives you mad. Uh, (laughs) It says infrasound was used by the allies of World War I to locate artillery, but that's where it stops. It doesn't say how or why. Uh, Yeah. Uh, there's a guy, a, a Frenchman named Vladimir, because let's just get every Russian name out there today. <laughs> so Vladimir did, uh, it, gosh, in the 60s, he was doing experiments with infrasound. Interesting. Man named Vladimir around the same time. Yeah. Um, so some natural events can occur at uh, those big wind turbines that you see now, those, that wind power is so mm-hmm. popular, that yeah. can do it. Uh, it occurs during earthquakes, and animals can perceive it. That's why there's that thing with animals freaking out. Before, before an, earthquake, an earthquake. Like dogs and stuff. Yeah. Um, human reactions. Uh, causes feelings of awe and dread. Oh, wow. Weird. Here's an experiment that uh, a group of UK researchers did in May 2003 where they would play music, just regular music, and then under it would be infrasound at 17 hertz our, uh-huh. our limit of hearing is about 20 okay um the respondents a significant number of the respondents reported anxiety uneasiness extreme sorrow nervous feelings feelings of revulsion feelings of fear chills down the spine and feelings of pressure on the chest holy shit um it is suggested that since we can't consciously detect it that a lot of um Haunted sites are attributed to infrasound because it gives you this feeling of dread. It gives you chills down the spine. Wow, that's crazy. Um, So, yeah, they've been saying for a few years that what we think of as ghosts is infrasound. (laughs) 
<clears throat> well, and so yeah, I guess we don't. So that so what, I that's, guess that's what it's for. Since we can't hear it, we have to create these arrays and labs to detect where it is. Um, so this uh, this can occur naturally then. So they're saying that the wind blew down this this canyony pass between the mountains at such a weird frequency that created this vortex, which caused these infrasound waves to hit this camp, and then everyone went crazy and cut their way out of the tents and ran off naked into the night. Yeah, severe weather, surf, waves. That seems unbelievable. Avalanches, earthquakes. Avalanches. Waterfalls, icebergs, meteors, lightning, upper atmospheric lightning. All these things caused this? Yeah. Maybe that upper atmospheric lightning is those weird sounds they saw. This is even freakier to me than thinking it was uh, UFOs yeah. or nuclear weapons or something. It kind of is too. To just think this natural thing could make everyone go crazy. I wonder if I feel I have feelings of dread and anxiety all the time. I wonder if I'm picking up lots of infrasound. I mean, di- uh, diesel engines, <laughs> transducers, wind turbines, mating elephants. <laughs> You're around all those things daily. Uh, that's true. Um, yeah, it's saying that these these wind turbines technology that. Uh, has health risks of causing sleep disorders and uh, messes with your brain function. That's some scary stuff. I don't like that one bit. Okay, that's theory two then. So let's so let's work this out. So some some wind or maybe a distant avalanche or upper atmosphere lightning causes this. They get feelings of unease. Yeah, but but it, how how well, extreme it, can it get? Because you said they played that record at a party. At, at that science experiment, yeah. people said they felt uneasy. They didn't say they tore. <laughs> they didn't say they went they mad. Tore, yeah, they didn't tear down the curtains and break through the window to climb out of the house. So, so it was set. So that and that was at 17 hertz. Maybe these waves were 10 hertz, and that has a bigger effect. Could it naturally occur that I don't, intense I don't though? Know. And maybe just one person got it, and they all just panicked. No, one person started panicking, and like, okay, so one guy just goes way overboard. Everyone's like, "Oh, I feel unease." And this guy's like, we got to get out of here then. <laughs> Jumps yeah. up in his tidy whities unzips the tent, and runs off. Not unzips, cuts his oh, way yeah, out. Claws his way out. And, and then they're like running after him like, you maniac. And, and then they get lost in the him, dark. Then they get lost in the dark. It's, it's negative 25 and they're all. But wouldn't you get dressed before chasing your friend? Yeah, I would. I don't I know. I don't, uh, this is like. I definitely would. I don't think I would be like, well, it's now or never. Oh, but he clawed his way out of the tent. So now their tent's not secure. So maybe they're thinking they got to go get firewood and build a fire. Well, they were all heading down towards that the the they were all heading down toward the wooded area, which would provide cover. It just seems strange they wouldn't throw their clothes on. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't work unless or at least their shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when I have to walk outside to to get the mail in the winter and I don't have shoes, it's a harrowing experience. I can't imagine, and that's three or four steps, you know. Right. I can't imagine being like, well, it's just a mile away. Okay, no, that doesn't... Okay, here's the third theory. Okay. Military tests. Okay. Some people believe it was a military accident and then a cover-up. So there's records of things called parachute mines being tested in, by the Russian military. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I guess that's just a mine floating down on a parachute? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a cartoon thing, like Acme parachute mine. It totally does. Like Wiley Coyote probably is, has tested those out in the desert. Uh, <laughs> You're just standing there slowly watching it fall that'd be until, terrifying. until it explodes you. Yeah, that, that'd be a little bit terrifying. 
So the paras- it's like <laughs> parachute mines detonate a meter or two before they hit the ground. It's like the scene in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail when Lancelot is charging towards the castle. Mm-hmm. That's one of my, that's my favorite scene in that movie. And the two guards are just watching him yeah. as he runs across this field. Yeah. And it cuts to the guards being bored and then him running. And yep. the next thing you know, he's on top of him and stabs him. So yeah! That's, so that's me watching the parachute mine. Yeah. Huh. Well, so listen to this. Okay. this. This is what makes this theory kind of cool. Is parachute mines detonate a meter or two above the ground, and they produce similar damages to those experienced by the hikers. Heavy internal damage with very little external trauma. Wow, because it's just so it's like just like a force, concussive? A, yeah, concussive blow. Huh. There were also glowing orbs reported in the sky, so yeah. that could maybe be a mine going off in the parachute sky. Mine, yeah. And then the theory says that animals account for the missing nose and tongues and all that kind of stuff. And then people believe the bodies were moved as part of the cover-up. So, oh, to just try to really hastily just, yeah, make it seem like an avalanche. Seem like, or seem like a big mess. Uh, but only some of the bodies had the trauma, and some just right. froze to death. And then, I guess they could have been trying to escape the parachute mines. Yeah, that's... That one, I don't know. That one, that one kind of has a lot of validity. There, I, there's not a lot of contradictory stuff for that one. Yeah. Uh, but it just seems. But still, why were they weird. so far from the tent? And this was 3 a.m. Why would you even know? You wouldn't even know these parachutes were coming. And it's like not like the military is doing tests in the middle of the night. Wouldn't they be doing it during the day? They, it's yeah. Russia, man. Yeah. It's not like anyone's going to tell a military guy in in Soviet Union Russia. Like, oh no, we're, we're not, we don't want you doing that in town. Yeah, oh no, you, you just, gotta be more sneaky. You about just it. disappear. Yeah, you know. So I mean, three a.m. Well, like, what would be the point? Yeah, and and unless it, what did it hit their tent directly and killed some of them, and then the rest ran away from the exploding? Tent? Well, no, no, because the tents weren't damaged, so they would have had to cut their. They would have had to. Someone would have had to peek out through a, a tear in the tent or something, see a parachute coming down, and then say, "Let's get out of here." And without this, shoes, without cut those are those are parachute mines if I've ever seen them. <laughs> like that one just makes no sense. When would they have actually spotted these parachutes yeah, coming down one, yeah, in a blizzard in the middle of the night when they're asleep? Yeah. So that one is is yeah. So that one kind of doesn't work either. All right. This, this here's the fourth theory: paradoxical undressing. Okay, and that is that the hypothermia thing where you. Yes. Okay. To me, when I first read it, I thought, this is, this is any kind of woman that's ever taken off her clothes in front of me. <laughs> Paradoxical. It's like, this does not make sense. This is me you're taking your clothes off in front of. Was that your trick in your, in your 20s and your wild younger days is you just make it real cold? Yeah. I thought, if I make it cold enough in my bedroom. <laughs> to trigger hypothermia. Yeah, maybe they'll do some paradoxical undressing. <laughs> but it turned out that only I would do that. <laughs> And then you'd run out and then, uh, yeah, and then, I, then I would usually scream and, and tear down my, my <laughs> curtains and break through the glass. And that's usually a turnoff. By the time I came to my senses, the, the, the smart, you know, these people had gone. <laughs> okay, so this is, so paradoxical, paradoxical undressing is, is when, you, when you get hypothermia, as you said, one of the weird, this is such a weird thing to think, that mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things that can happen is you have a, a feeling of burning warmth. And so people with hypothermia sometimes start tearing off their clothes. And this isn't, you know, in freezing conditions. They will yeah. take off their coat, take off their shirt, take off their pants, and, and just walk out naked. So, and then six out of the nine hikers died of hypothermia. That's, that's undisputed. Yeah. That's, that's not, a, so like a bunch of them froze to death. So the hypothesis, that 
kind of makes sense, but then it wouldn't address why the, the hikers fled the tents in the first place. The temperature inside of the tent wouldn't have been low enough to cause this paradoxical oh, undressing. They okay. had their, you know, the, the tents giving them cover. They've got their clothes. They've got their, their sleeping bags and, and blankets. Inside of a tent is not going to get to the point where you would get that bad of hypothermia. You're going to be cold maybe. But wasn't it like negative 30 degrees? It was negative 30 degrees. How could it be that warm in the tent? They just said that it's not, according to, to I don't know, I guess they know, you know, they tested all this stuff. Yeah, okay. They yeah. just figured out it's just not that cold. Next comes the fifth theory, which is my favorite one, a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> so mountain chimp, yeah. <laughs> no, that's to say no more. That's the, that's, the only, that's the only answer that doesn't strain credulity too so, much. So there's claims that the Dyatlov group was killed by an enraged Russian Yeti. Yeah, and, sure. And that's, you know, that's... R- Russian Yetis are... They're grouchy. Yeah, they're so grouchy. You're, <laughs> you're, uh, you're Sasquatch. You're Abominable Snowman. is nothing compared to Boris the Yeti. Yeah, Boris the Yeti. You, you do not want to run into that. And, and so th- the premise is the injuries sustained by the skiers were so grave... And so extraordinary that they could only have been inflicted by an inhumanly strong creature. Remember, they said that these, these four of these guys had crushed rib cages, crushed skulls, and the, the, the medical examiner described it as the impact of a, of a car crash. So this is a big, giant Yeti fist coming through that tent. Just punch him what, in the face. But didn't they say that there wasn't the flesh bruising that would have been caused by a punch? That's true. I guess that kind of disproves the Yeti, aside from the, the Yeti theory being fucking ridiculous. <laughs> the giant werewolf monster man came, to the, to the, came and killed him. Is that, is, that the, is that the end of the Credible Theories? That's all the Credible Theories. And okay, then, I, well, I, can, I, can I lay it out for you? Well, I, I want I to point out that it's weird that no one actually said aliens in any of these theories. Yeah, that's true. None, that's that's none, not coming up? None of these theories that, that I found actually said one that, that you know, is, is as credible as the Yeti theory. <laughs> so, so that would explain the orange globes. That would explain the strange damage to their body. The radiation. The radiation, maybe from a little ray gun, like a Mars attacks gun. Uh, the, the, it would explain the terror of people running out of a tent. Can you imagine an alien appearing on the side of a mountain? Oh, Lord. You would just, you know, maybe it unzipped the front of the tent and peeked its head <laughs> in, and you're like, yes, oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> or I guess they would have gone, bonjour, more! <laughs> Cut their way out. Yeah. Okay. Radioactive parachute mines mm-hmm. disturb the Yeti's natural habitat. He's forced to come a little further south than he normally likes to range. Wait, 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 wait. No, I, I got it even better. Okay. The, the parachute mines, they trigger an avalanche. The avalanche is on the wrong side of the mountain. That, that creates infrasound. an infrasound. That wakes up the hibernating Yeti. That's what it was. Oh, because it's, it's wintertime. The it's hibernating winter. Yeti. He's, he's, he's enraged. He's, he's got he, a feeling of dread and dread repulsion. Dread and, 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 and goes crazy. Runs towards this thing that he doesn't know what it is, a tent. Yeah. The people see the Yeti coming. Because there's, the, <laughs> there's rumbling. There's a weird feeling of dread. They so, hear, so, they so hear someone, an expl- orange explosion in the sky, first so, of all. So someone unzips the tent, sees the Yeti, and you see enraged like Yeti. a nine-foot Yeti just booking it towards your tent, you know, growling and screaming. So then, so of course... The, and the, then you turn and you, you yell to the others, It's a Yeti! 
the quickest thinking one immediately claws his way through the tent yeah. and runs out the other side. The, the other ones are passing pocket knives around in case of Yeti break glass and yeah. just cut and then through. Uh, the few of them that stop to put their clothes on are mm. then massacred by the Yeti. Crushed. Crushes their chest. Crushes yeah. their skull. The rest of them are running down towards the woods because everyone knows Yetis can't climb trees. Yeah, so they climb up the tree. They, they make a little fire. The Yeti at this point moves on because he's satisfied his rage by killing those, those five people. Crushing them. And then he, the other people, he ate their tongue, burned their hands in the fire, held their hands to the fire. Yeah. And then the people that weren't killed by the Yeti were then trying to crawl back to, to the, the camp and froze to death. Yeah, realizing at that point what a terrible idea it was to flee into the snow in your tidy whities it's, but is it a terrible idea when you've got that Yeti coming straight at you? Well, that's one of the big uh, paradoxical questions is, do you choose the Yeti or the cold feet? Mm-hmm. I hate having cold feet, but a Yeti, I don't know how I'm going to react when a Yeti's charging at me like a bull. It's also a decision of die now or die later. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone universally will pick die later. Well, and dying of hypothermia would, would actually probably be fairly pleasant compared to being ripped limb from limb. By an enraged, By an enraged, Yeti. enraged Russian Yeti. Yeah. So. All right, we solved the it. mystery solved. All right, well, let's update the Wikipedia page. We really should, because that that not only encapsulates every theory into one. It's the only credible answer. It's, it's the, the only, only logical, logical answer. Yeah. So that's the Dyatlov Pass incident. Well, I enjoyed the hell out of that. That was a lot of fun, right? That was really fun. I'm glad we 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 figured it out. Maybe uh, this will be a regular show topic: is just solving mysteries. Solving historical mysteries. You know what's really funny is Brighton and I will solve mysteries, small mysteries, and then pat ourselves really hard on the back. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Th- like this was a, a show, but in real life, we'll be chatting, and then we'll, th- we'll think we figure something out, and then we'll both kind of nod. Uh-huh. So. You know, stuff like, oh, I thought, I thought Bobby was going to go to the mall with Ricky, mm-hmm. but then Ricky said he wasn't at the mall. And then, yeah, and then we find out where he was. Social media has made being a detective very easy. Yeah, we're good at it. I think we're going to keep, keep this up for okay, sure. Okay, yeah, that was very enjoyable. Yeah. All right, I want to talk about blowing your speakers now. Oh, is this our new segment, Blown Speakers? No, Blow Your Speakers. Blow Your Speakers? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> Speaking of the Dyatlov Pass incident, in October 2015, the Russian metal band Kwan oh, perfect. released their seventh full-length album, Sorni Nai, sung in poetic Finnish. Um, the title references the golden goddess of the Ural Mountains, Mansi region. It is a concept album that focuses on this incident. Oh, wonderful. I'll have to get to that. Yeah, you'll have to get to that. But now it's time but for... speaking of metal... Blow your speakers! So that's that's pretty good. Is that pretty good? Yeah, we need a theme song for that. For Jesus Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from <laughs> when we've gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. All right, so blow your speakers is a new segment I started last week where we've <laughs> talked so much about about metal. I decided this is going to be my adventure, delving headfirst into to metal and getting to know every metal band ever. So, when I lived in San Diego a few years ago, I stumbled upon an article about a band called Sleep. They are considered the, the first band of the subgenre doom metal. And they, the reason I, I was really fascinated by this band is they, 
decided to record a concept album that was one song that was an hour long about smoking weed. Right. You've talked about them on the I, show. I've talked about them yeah. before. So, okay. so their al- Sleep's album, Dope Smoker, I, I think is just such a fascinating concept. But that's where I first got turned on to, to a stoner metal, which I didn't really know about. And going to that, me- that vegan uh, heavy metal uh, restaurant that I've talked about endlessly a few weeks ago, they, their music is primarily psych metal and stoner metal, which is kind of a slower, droney. Yeah, see, this is one of my issues with metal. What, what do we got here? You, I, I interrupted you while you were explaining it to ask you to explain it. I apologize. So, so stoner metal or psychedelic metal is kind of slower. It's not as, as, as boomy as doom metal from what I understand. Again, if you're way into metal, write in and, and give me some pointers because this is me trying to get deep into metal, which I've always skirted the surface. But to really, you know, know all these bands and know all these subgenres. But stoner metal is kind of droney, kind of more, uh, it's slower. It's slower and, and more melodic. And it, it, and it has kind of a, gosh, what is the word? Almost like a wah-wah-y kind of pedal on the guitar. So it's more like wah-wah-wah. More like a... Like what? <laughs> oh, so it's like a... It's like, kind of like a... Okay. All right, and so uh, sometimes, you know how it is, late at night, you're up at 3 a.m., you're, you're Googling weird stuff and looking up, you go down the, what I call the rabbit hole, and I stumbled upon a, man, a band called Weed Pecker. <laughs> so like a woodpecker, but weed, like the drugs. So I imagine this is either a, a, a woodpecker made of weed or a wood, weed pecker would be a woodpecker that maybe eats weed or, or pecks on weed. On a, uh, on, a, on a hemp plant? Maybe a hemp plant. Maybe he- pecks on a hemp plant. Pecks on a hemp plant. And I, and, and, but then I started thinking weed pecker would actually be the opposite of a woodpecker because if a woodpecker is on any drugs, it's some kind of amphetamine or meth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So this is kind of the opposite of a woodpecker, a weed pecker. So right there, I, I, I was like, well, tell me more. You're going to name your band Weed Pecker. The album cover for Weed Pecker 1, which they, na- they number their albums like, uh, like Led Zeppelin. So there's, there's Weed Pecker 1. And then Weed Pecker 2 literally came out two weeks ago, which I, was, I just found out. But I've had this older album, Weed Pecker. So this is stoner, the genre is described as stoner, psychedelic, and then grunge. These guys are from Poland, and this is their bio. Weed Pecker was born in Warsaw in 2012 when the Dobry brothers, Wyro and Bandos, (laughs) decided to match their dreamy psychedelic rock tunes with some stoner-heavy, grungy riffing. Uh, And then soon the Pan Fallon, the drummer, he joined, who also plays for the ultra-slow Doomers, Beelzebong. <laughs> so so there's... Okay, I thought... I didn't know stoner metal was so literal. No, it's literal. They, I they, thought it was just... It, uh, okay. You think it's just a description like, oh, this is kind of what, you know... Like me- it's kind of mellow. Mellow, yeah. stoner. But this is literally metal you're supposed to listen to when you're stoned. And I'm not sure what that is, because all music sounds good when you're stoned, right? So maybe it sounds extra good? I, I don't know. Okay, so they, so this album was recorded in April 2013. There, I, I love that their their 
This is their email, weedpecker420 at Gmail. <laughs> they have a Gmail? They have a Gmail account. They, they are so underground, they don't have a, a website. They have a band camp, they have, and then they have a Facebook page, which I'm a, I'm a follower of. They have 6,000 fans. So this is, you're, oh, wow. you're getting in, in on the ground floor of Weedpecker, if you're listening right now. Uh, and, and their album on Bandcamp is $4. It's, and so, like, you should, you should download it. Weedpecker.bandcamp.com. It is $4. All right, so this, this sounds a lot like kind of slower, when Pantera is slow or like... Uh, it kind of sounded a lot like Alice in Chains, but minus so much singing hmm. and then tons more riffing. Do they have vocals? They have vocals. They are they're kind of sparse, actually. It's, it, there's long instrumentals in, in a lot of the songs. Some of the songs have no singing at all. There's a few on the album that have none, that it's just them riffing. What does the singing sound like? It sounds like it's usually two guys, and they're kind of... It kind of is a little bit Alice in Chainsy. Okay, I just I just don't like that metal where the the, the singer sounds like they're barfing. <laughs> well, we're, we're gonna. I love that kind of metal. I love all kinds of metal, but this is more like they're not. There's no barking. There's no screaming. There's no low growls. Okay, they're yeah, not doing like, like the the black metal high pitched or like the low. Yeah, this is like two guys harmonizing and singing. It's kind of like a Mastodon, a little bit. Which is another metal band. You just, I don't know if you know. Yeah, that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this album's super good. So uh, we are two for two. The Man of War Battle Hymns was re- a really great album. This is super good. It's, it's kind of it's heavy, but at the same time, relaxing. So you can listen to it. It's just kind of riffing away. It'd be good music to listen to while you're doing something else, while you're cleaning the house. Maybe you're driving around thinking about bills or something you can have this guitar riffs in the background it goes into some heavier kind of double bass stuff once in a while but for the most part it's kind of mellow and there's kind of pretty uh acoustic stuff mixed in with it like there's a lot of kind of layers i guess that's for the stoner part this sounds pretty good I, i'm gonna check this out I, oh yeah I'll, I'll i'll let you check it out I'll... so this segment is not just you like going through your album collection and presenting these good things to us you're are you sort of experimenting with something and then talking about it and is it possible in this segment you're going to listen to something and, and it sucks? And you oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. here, so Man of War I was familiar with. I decided yeah. to go with that one as the first segment because yeah. I love them. I, find, I think they're the epitome of metal. Yeah. Dressing as Vikings and all that stuff. Yeah. These guys, I, had, I got their record, but, but I do this a lot with metal. And this is kind of why I wanted to do this segment is I'll get an album, I'll listen to a couple songs, and then never listen to it again. Because I, you know, I listen to something else. I'm the type of guy that listens to the same album over and over and over and over, but that album is few and far between. So I'll listen to the first few songs, and then I'll be like, oh, okay, I want to actually listen to the same Blur album over and over and over. And then I forget about it. So I found this the other night when I started thinking about Metal Band. So I had never, I'd never listened to it as far as I could remember, even though I had it. So this, is, this week was the first time I'd listened to it. And I try, I'm going to try to listen to it all the way through a few times before I do these reviews. And this one I, I probably listen to five or six times all the way through. Nice. It's really good. It's, it's really, it makes me want to go back and listen to Alice in Chains because I kind of thought they sucked. But maybe I liked them and, and I like them now. You know what I mean? That happens to me all the time. So maybe, maybe I'll do it and like them too. 
But this, um, this is not, I don't want to, they're not too much like Alice in Chains. There's a lot of riffing. There's a lot of great riffs, very catchy. They have some long segments. And like I said, there's a few songs on it that are, you know, six, seven minutes long with no singing. It's just riffing away. But it's strangely relaxing, even though it's metal. I'll have you know that July 11th at the depot in Salt Lake City, you'll have a chance to catch up with Alice in Chains. <laughs> I saw that. I actually Googled Alice in Chains today. Who Just, is singing for him now? I have no... Well, I mean, Selene uh, Staley's dead. Oh, they sold out last time they were in town last summer. Jerry Cantrell is the... He was kind of the driving force anyway, right? He was the guitarist, and he sang... He's one of the vocals. I saw Alice in Chains... Yeah, up. he did some... He sang some of their stuff, didn't he? You know, no, they, they, Sta- no they, both, they both sang. They harmonized. Yeah. I saw Alice in Chains at Lollapalooza 2, and they sucked. <laughs> it was so <laughs> shitty life. It was like if I had tried to be Alice in Chains with like an hour's notice. And the, I'm trying to do harmonies, and I'm like, eh, eh. No, it's more like, eh. No, it's more like, eh. Anyway. <laughs> that's me trying to get the key with, uh. with the person I've never harmonized with. They they do have a new singer named William Duval. He's forty eight years old. That's what I know about him. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out Allison Chains again, but you should definitely check out uh, Weed Pecker. It's four dollars on Bandcamp, and their both their records are on Spotify too. So are they? Yeah, I did just check that. So because I'm easy, I'm ex- I'm excited to get Weed Pecker too because if this was their debut, now they've had two years. This is two or three years ago. This came out. Now they've this, usually the sophomore album is the best album of any band, right? It's usually your second or third. Interesting. I could see that. I don't have anything to back it up, but let's research that for next week. Okay. Think about it. You're out nothing, though. $4? No, that's a, that's a, that's a piss in the wind. <laughs> I don't know if that's... <laughs> I don't know if that's a phrase or if it is a phrase if I used well, to Well, they do have that $4 fine here in Smogville if you piss in the wind. I know that's one of the, du- the Duck's decrees. I know. Mayor Duck put that on, on our door, and he's, he's fast. Well, speaking of albums we've listened to over and over again, uh, one of mine is Let's Face It by oh, wait, the Mighty wait, wait, Mighty Boss Tones. Wait, wait, before you continue, I'm going to post a uh, link to uh, the, these metal bands I review. I'm going to post on our Facebook. And that's... Facebook.com, type in World Champion Podcast. Right. Like us, and, and you can check out all these different metal bands that I'm experiencing. Yeah. Sorry, no, not, continue. Not, not World Champions Podcast. That's a different podcast. Is that a, really a podcast? That is a podcast um, that released their first episode shortly before we did. Really? But when we uh, came up with the name, there was nothing called that. What, so, what is so there? This guy, this guy must have had the same idea at the exact same time. Luckily, we registered our URL when we did. What, what's his podcast about? Uh, it's about wrestling. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. We haven't really talked about wrestling in a very long time. Yeah, we need um, to. In about a month, we're going to see it live. Yes. Very excited for that. Yeah, that's very exciting. All right, so I'm sorry to cut you off. You were Sa- Sammy Zayn will be there. Oh. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Sammy Zayn, he is a ska-themed wrestler. <laughs> and it's not really a gimmick. He's, I mean, the wrestlers don't really have gimmicks anymore for the most part. There's mm-hmm. a few that still do. But he's just a guy who happens to like ska music. And that's his angle. Yeah, so he wears a checkerboard tights. Mm-hmm. And, and when he comes out, he's wearing like a bomber jacket and one of those hats. Mm-hmm. And comes out to a sort of ska song and skanks his way into the ring. It's, it's kind, of, kind of mind-blowing. It's totally mind-blowing. But uh, we, yeah, we talked about ska a couple weeks ago. Ryan A. walks in. I did ask you to write in. 
uh, with your ska stuff. He says, I consider myself a ska fan, but my first experience with ska was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, mine too. So there. Uh, I've heard over and over again from older ska fans that the Boss Tones somehow ruined ska. What do you think of this? Can you point to any evidence of those claims have merit? Or are they just swept up with the rest of the 90s ska bands that supposedly weren't as genuine as their late 80s counterparts? Now, what is, what is the, the actual claim, how they ruined ska or whatever? I mean, they went mainstream. So they're sellouts. They're the first ones to go mainstream, but they never did a sort of pure form of ska. I know. They were always kind of like a like soul, really social a, distortion they, ska. Yeah, they were kind of a punk band. I mean, they, 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 the phrase ska core came from that because they were basically like a screamy hardcore band mm-hmm. that, that would then also have horns and occasionally do like a ska beat. Yeah. Um, if I may discuss the rich history of ska. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people call it fast reggae, but in fact, reggae is slow ska. Because uh-huh. ska came first. Uh, in Jamaica in, like, the 50s and 60s. And then the funniest thing happened, it was too hot. (laughs) So basically, these ska DJs would go around in the back of trucks and just play their music for people. Wow. And then, like, it was sort of like hip-hop where they'd play a record and then kind of sing over it. Okay. So in the Jamaican stuff, there's a lot of versions of sort of the same song, but not the same song. Hmm. With, like, different, like, oh, I'm the king of... And they'd have little battles... Wow, really? Yeah. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. No, that uh, our friend Matt, not heavy metal Matt, Galactus Matt, okay. has a lot of those old records that are, that are so funny where they're like, it's just a guy talking like, oh, King Dread thinks he is the best, <laughs> but his wife is too is fat. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, stuff like that. So this is like before even kind of battle rap stuff. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. This is like 60s stuff. Wow. Uh, but then it was really hot in Jamaica, and it was, you couldn't it was dance. too hot. Yeah, yeah, and you couldn't dance as hard. So then Rocksteady happened, where they slowed it down a bit. Yeah. And then that eventually became reggae. So then uh, a lot of those islanders immigrated to Great Britain in the 70s, and then met with, you know, kind of blended with those working class people there. Mm-hmm. And then you got what they call two-tone ska in, like, ni- around 1980. That's my favorite. Yeah, and that's these, like, British, like, tough guys. Yeah. The Clash... Not was not part of that, but kind of you Influenced can see, you can tell and, that they're yeah. all kind of tied in, mm-hmm. and that's like the specials, the selector. Yeah, I love. I love that. that stuff. It's really raw. It's not quite punk, but it definitely mm-hmm. has that punk spirit. It's such a cool little corner they cut out of the world too. It just yeah. stylized and like the scene, yeah, and the music. It was just. I would have loved to be in, in you know London in the late seventies to yeah. be able to go to these shows and stuff. Yeah, see the specials when they played in some kind of. Crappy little club, crappy you know, smoky club with twenty five yeah. people there, and then you got your mods showing up in their suits, and yeah, the working class with their boots and all yeah. that, yeah. Uh, and then in the eighties, it kind of, it kind of sort of went underground and blended with soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the big band was like Fishbone. Yeah, okay, that's probably the most famous one. Oingo Fish, Boingo that, that, dabbled in it. Uh, that awful uh, Alice in Chains concert I went to, Fishbone played as yeah. well. I I think Fishbone is awful. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they suck. Okay, so if that's what we're saying that the Boss Tones ruined it from Fishbone, <laughs> then fuck it. I hate Fishbone. Uh, yeah, but Oingo Boingo did a little bit, and then suddenly in the nineties, uh, oh, here's a side note: Metal Matt loves Oingo Boingo. So Oingo we're, Boingo we're is, back to this, Matt, now. Oingo Boingo is huge in, like, Southern California and here in 
and in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And not really anywhere else. But Oink- huge. Oingo Boingo sounds like circus music, kind of. So that it's oh, like totally, taking yeah. ska to the circus. Yeah, and then some new wave stuff. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so then the 90s, all of a sudden, it came. I, I don't know what triggered this, but suddenly there's a million ska bands. And they run the gamut. Like, there was the punk ones, like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Or Operation Ivy. And Operation Ivy. Yeah, maybe they're the ones who... They may, might have kicked it off around. again. I don't the, know. The toasters carried the torch for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then there were some kind of straight-up, like, slick ones. And then there was this whole bunch that were just fucking goofy. They were like Blink-182 ska bands. They were like these yeah. goofy guys that, that their style was basically T-shirts and shorts and stuff. Yeah, somehow it came... So I was talking about that. Like, somehow this came up where there was just... Band after band after band that were just like novel, like like Weird Al without the rhyming. Uh, the assorted jelly beans, like they were just silly. Just, they were the real big fish. Real big fish to- it was probably the most famous of those. Yeah. But, but bands called like, <clears throat> I'll just make one up. Like, uh, let's call ourselves the the mice in prison. How about bouncing gummy bears? Yeah, stuff like that, and you just. And it, you would wear just something super silly, like maybe a bowling shirt and a pork pie hat and plaid suit pants and golf shoes. And suspenders. And suspenders. And then your music would be like, hey, I slept in late and my cereal was soggy. I missed the bus and I had to run real fast. <laughs> just, I mean, well, okay, Skank and Pickle, who, yeah. I, who I loved back in the day. but And now... I cannot listen to that. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it again. Last time I tried to listen to it, I was like, what was I thinking? Try it again. I'm listening to Alice in Chains tonight. Yeah, I'll try Skank and Pickle. With, you know, just totally. They're called Skank and Pickle. They're goofy as shit. And then they couldn't decide. They were so schizophrenic. No, I, that's not the way you schizophrenic. They were so. Uh, scatterbrained? Scatterbrained that like everyone in the band would take turns being the lead singer. <laughs> and, and so I think they would sing the songs they would write. But none of them were on the same page. So there's one guy singing a song that's like kind of a smooth reggae jam, and he's like, I hate racism. I think we should all just get along, and if I saw a racist, I'd kick his ass, because we got to think about stuff that matters. And then the next and then the next track is like, my belly button is full of lint, and when I'm at the store, I don't give a... And then the next song is just like a straight-up punk song with like, the occasional horns. It's just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so, what is, is this? What, what are we talking? Does this email address this? I've suddenly got really confused why we were talking about this. I don't know. He asked me about the Boston's, and I decided to give a lecture on the history of ska music. That was music. great, man. I learned a yeah. lot from that, and I thought I knew quite a bit about ska. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, the Boston's are still around. They, they took a break, and now they're back and releasing new albums. Uh, I don't really know what the underground scene is like. I just saw the Slackers. They're great. They're a serious band. I don't really um, love... So I don't know what else out there. Less Than Jake is still touring. They're more of a pop punk band with some ska stuff. They're great. I, uh, I don't really know very much Mighty Mighty Boston's. I don't like their famous song. I do like the cameo that the singer makes on that rancid song on Life Won't Wait. Oh, yeah. But I, but I, I kind of... What I've heard of them, of them, I don't like. Because they remind me a little bit of, of like a ska version of, of the Dropkick Murphys or something. Kind of, yeah. Slightly, which, you know, that's, um, that's not good. Did you like their appearance in Clueless? The movie? Yeah. They're in it? They're in it, and like they're playing at the dance scene. 
Wow. Are they playing their famous song? They're, no, it was before that. They do, Really? I, I think they do Someday, I Suppose, and, and Where Did You Go? Wait, I might like Someday, I Suppose. That's a great maybe. song. Their, their stuff before that famous album is great. I like that album, but that song's not the best on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep getting ads on Facebook that there's a new limited, limited to 1,000 pressings vinyl version of that. And mm-hmm. it's on like vinyl with like confetti inside of it or something. <laughs> I like colored vinyl. And so, I don't know, I like to collect records and I like that, but I can't see myself putting on that record. Yeah. Fair enough. And dancing around in front of my cat. My cat hates it when I skank around the apartment. He freaks out. Do you know what? My dog was, I listen to music when I, I drive to work with my dog every morning. He goes with me. And I listen to music almost every morning. And last week I was listening to that Manowar record and my dog did not know what to think of the screaming in it. Oh, yeah. Because Eric Adams can wail. And and Tugboat was just looking around. He just did. Oh, yeah. Maybe, I've never maybe there's infrasound in there. I've never seen him react to, to music before, but he was like, what is this? It's because he's, he's, you know, he's not into false metal is what I, how <laughs> yeah. I took it. I was like, good boy. My cat hates OK Computer. Really? Um, hates in utero, but he's OK with Unplugged. Which, which part of, of OK Computer does he react to? Just as soon as it starts. As soon as it starts. Yeah, he just, like, loses his shit. Really? That's the one he's had the most reaction to. Wow. Ska music, I think he just reacts because suddenly I start skanking around the apartment. What does your cat like, then? What would you say his favorite album is? Um, he's, he's okay with Bowie. Which He's, he's a, kind of a little freaked out, far out, but he's, he comes to deal with it. Which, which Bowie? Um, Hunky Dory. Okay. Yeah. Well, Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust. I'll play them both in the apartment. So the, the cat likes Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, My uh, dog likes Battle Hymns by Manowar. Perfect. Nice. Yeah, dig it. Uh, anyway, so to answer your question, no, I don't think they ruined Sky. I think they took it mainstream. Because once they hit, suddenly there's tons of articles in guitar magazines, Rolling Stones, Spin. Like, hey, did you know this is a kind of music that's been around for 30 years? Hmm. So it helped, it helped people find out about it. And, true. Re- and I've seen them live a couple times. They're really good. I met Dickie. He was super nice. I can't. This is like someone who has a real problem with this is like, that's ridiculous. You'd grow up. Oh, to think that they, yeah. <laughs> if you think that a band ruined Scott because they got famous, unless this email writer thought that, and then I agree No, with he him. says he likes them, but, he's, but people try to school him and say. We're not elitists here, buddy. We, we like everything. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think we're out of time. I did tease. Uh, Clay wrote in with a bunch of good topics. I teased that. Um, we got a nice movie list here from Alex. Cemetery Man. Have you ever seen the movie Cemetery Man? Yeah. Does that have like a lot of nudity in it? I think so. I'm pretty sure that's why I watched it. That's what I'm thinking. I, I remember this movie. It's a good zombie movie from, uh, is it, what's his name? That famous Italian guy? Dario Argento. The guy that made Zombie? Yeah, is, is it him? I don't know. I think it's Italian. I've seen it. I, I, it's off the top of my head, I'm not remembering it. I, I loved it back in high school. I know I saw it in, well, it came out in the early 90s, and I know I saw it. I know I saw it too. We'll have to investigate further. <laughs> it slipped my mind, just like the Weed Pecker album. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not Dario Argento. It's just some garbage. Uh, let's see. I'll just mumble my way through these emails as a way of acknowledging that they exist, but not. Uh, Oh, John Morrissey wrote in with a nice UFO story. Yeah, let's we've do been, that We've one. been hanging on to this one since March 24th. Hell, let's get through it. This is like the search party looking for the Dyatlov Pass incident. It like, is, well, yeah. we, we now have got to this email. 
Yeah, it's it's a long one. So John says, your back is a subject line, and your front and your sides, I love every bit of you. All right. Thought I'd lost you forever, but I was wrong. Anyway, I have UFO story, sort of. You see, this didn't happen to me, but it could have if the aliens deemed me interesting enough to examine. Here's the story. I grew up in a very large family in New York City. One day, one of my aunts decided to move to Arizona, wherever the hell that is. <laughs> Several years later, her oldest daughter got married and moved to Los Angeles. Yes, it is riveting so far. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did write in parentheses. I'm not making fun of our listeners. He said, this story is riveting so far, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry, to, sorry to, to chicken out of the joke. Yeah. But I just didn't want you to think I'm mocking her. No, friends. no. Uh, several times per year thereafter, my aunt would make the drive from Arizona. I'm just going to say aunt. I'm not going to front. I say aunt. Is, every is, time I, I wait, pr- is, is aunt the, <laughs> the way you're supposed to say it? Yeah, and every time I say it, I force myself to say aunt. I'm giving up on that. Is I aunt, just decided that now. Go is that a aunt. local thing or what? I always say aunt. It might be. Yeah, well, we're just going to say aunt. Uh, my aunt would make the drive from Arizona to L.A. to visit her daughter and her new son-in-law and eventually her new grandchildren. The eight-hour trip became so routine that she developed habitual stopping points whereat she could phone her daughter with her ETA. On one routine trip, as per their tradition, she phoned my uncle from her usual rest stop to wake him up in the early morning hours and reported that she'd see him in about an hour and a half as he was leaving for work. This is on her way home, then, On her way home. She says, I'm an hour and a half from home. All right. Then 18 hours passed. Holy shit. Yeah, this is scary. Uh, my uncle was frantic. He called every friend and relative. He called the police. Nobody had any information on her. After 18 hours, she arrives home, perplexed by all the hubbub, because it's filled with uniformed officers by now. Like, why are all these police here? What's going on? Are you okay? That's what she says. Are you okay? Thinking she'd come home and he'd had a heart attack or something. Yeah. My uncle responded, am I okay? Are you okay? Where were you? We were so worried about you. What are you talking about? I called you from Rose's rest stop as usual an hour and a half ago. What's the problem? Whoa. <clears throat> he screams, that was 18 hours ago. My aunt was stunned and speechless. She had no explanation for the lost time. She had no explanation for the missing hours. Had no idea so much time had passed. And thus, after a bit of official investigation, nothing ever came of the incident except for her nightmares that persisted for more than seven years. Oh, my God. Seven years later, her youngest daughter, my cousin, enrolled at the University of Arizona and decided to major in psychology. He doesn't elaborate on the on the what the nightmares were. I don't know. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of words. Left. Okay, let's continue, man. This is this is getting yeah. good. Uh, as part of her study, she became associated with a number of people who were studying the phenomenon of hypnosis. My cousin mentioned her mother's years of unrest, and they suggested that hypnosis might unlock a memory of those missing eighteen hours. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm sorry, John. This is where you're wrong. He writes, at last, this is where my story becomes interesting and relevant. No, it was, no, it was no, already yeah, interesting and it's, relevant. I'm already riveted now. Under hypnosis, she describes her abduction. Oh, no. She described her car stalling unexpectedly in the early morning hours, a very bright light, an overwhelming feeling of terror, and the simultaneous inability to move or scream. She described how her car door opened, how she was levitated out of her car through the now open door while still immobilized in the seated position. 
She described how she drifted toward a very bright spaceship surrounded by half a dozen silent aliens wishing she could scream. Through her sobs in hypnosis, she described her multi-hour, extremely painful physical examination by the aliens on the side of a lonely highway in the middle of Arizona. Wow, that, I got chills listening to that. Me too, I got chills. <laughs> that's, that's freaky. Afterwards, she was returned to her car by a similar immobilizing tractor beam of sorts, and then she began to sob and sob and sob and sob. Eventually, she regained her composure and drove home, all while starting to forget every detail. Thus, when she arrived home, shocked at the reception she received. This can't be possible. Uh, and that's the end of my story. Is this my story? No. Why am I aware of this? Because I went to visit my relatives in Arizona about five years after the hypnosis of my aunt, and she told me this story. I, of course, believed none of it. Until I until drove. Until she played <laughs> me the VHS tape of her hypnosis. Oh. <gasps> So they, they gave it to her. Yeah, I heard her tale with my own ears, saw her emotional distress with my own eyes, and witnessed the shocked dismay on the faces of the professional psychologist and hypnotist present in the room at the same time. Holy shit. Um, I'm, moreover, I neglected to mention that one of her younger daughters, my cousin, was with her at the time. My cousin also was hypnotized, and their stories were identical, even though neither one ever saw each other's recording. Two people independently hypnotized who independently described the very same experience, complete with paralysis, floating towards the bright lit spaceship, and the painful examination before being returned to their now running car many hours later. Wow. Do I believe that my aunt and cousin were abducted and examined? That's not the point. The point is, do you? Thank you very much for resuming your podcasting careers cordially, Big John. I want to believe. That was... God, maybe... Maybe we're going to start out just kind of goofing around and talking about aliens, and then our lives are going to be destroyed. We're going to stumble upon some conspiracy. We're going to be, you know, lose our jobs, lose our friends, our families. This is that that this email might be a turning point because that that literally gave me chills. That kind of freaked me out. If something does happen to us, just know that it was Yetis. <laughs>